Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we have Preston Green, head performance coach for the University of Miami men's basketball program. We're going to talk a lot about how he approaches energy system training year-round and the little tricks and trades that he's developed over the course of a really long and illustrious career in strength conditioning that he applies with his athletes. Make sure you check out the podcast as well as the module we have on phpodcast.com where we go through the practical, the principles, and then the case study that I went through working with a military athlete to get the full depth of knowledge we're trying to present with this cardiovascular module. Also, stay tuned. We should have our pre-order for strength deficit coming out very soon, which we're really excited about. We're going to include a pre-order both on our website and through Amazon, so whatever means you want to buy the book, we're full of stoked that you're interested and we're looking forward to that release here in a very soon day hope you guys enjoy and we'll see you on the other side all right everybody we got preston green now at the university of miami preston thank you for being here and honestly take the floor introduce yourself give everyone your background and uh, we'll take it from there all right well thanks for having me tim i, I appreciate the opportunity and uh yeah, so, gosh, this is my 27th year. Uh, God, that's a long time. No offense. <laughs> strength coach, but uh, I started very, very, very young. Um, for those of you who have not heard my story, at the age of 14, I first started uh, studying strength training, and that's when I knew kind of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And then uh, – Came across some information from a guy named Charles Poliquin, who ended up being my mentor for my entire career and uh, got his home phone number when I was, I think, 15 or 16 years old and called him up and thought I knew everything about strength training. And then he ended up hanging up the phone on me, but uh, that's okay. And then, uh, yeah, I went to Clemson University as an undergrad and uh, volunteered there for a semester and then the head strength conditioning coach kind of realized I had a passion for this and, and a little bit of knowledge. And he gave me a full graduate, uh, assistant scholarship. So I, I was a strength coach when I was 18 years old. I had, I think four or five teams on my own, no idea what I was doing, but I was training ACC level, uh, athletes basically as a teenager. And, uh, anyways, graduated from there. I went to the university of Minnesota where I did hockey for a year and football for a year and uh, tremendous experience. And then the director there got the job at Arizona and he ended up taking me with him. So I then journeyed down to the desert to, uh, for a couple of years and I kind of got the itch where I wanted my own gig and I uh, got the director's job at the university of North Carolina, Charlotte. And I was the youngest director at the time in NCAA history uh, I think it was 24. Again, no idea what I was doing, but I, I kind of thought I did. And uh, was there, I think, for five years. And if you can't tell, I kind of like to move around a little bit. Then I went back to the West Coast. I went to Stanford University with Johnny Dawkins. Planned on staying out there for a while. And uh, after about a season, season and a half, my alma mater called up Clemson and said, hey, we want you to come back basketball jobs open. What do you think? I said, okay, cool. Let's do it. So I went back to Clemson, planned on ending my career there for the next 20 years. And uh, after a couple seasons, I got a phone call from this guy named Billy Donovan. 
And I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. I've heard of this guy a little bit. He says, hey, come down for the weekend. The job's open. Let's just talk a little bit. And little did I know how much of a complete competitive psychopath this guy was. And uh, he will not let you leave until he gets what he wants. So he offered me the job. I took the job and he said, okay, I need you here in 48 hours. I said, you serious? So I flew back to Clemson, packed up my office, sold my car, drove back down to Gainesville, started that Sunday evening at 5 p.m. And uh, gosh, I was there for 11 years and uh, survived two coaching changes, one at Clemson and then one at Florida. And uh, we just had a coaching change there. And that's part of the business. I don't, I don't think anyone in this profession, it doesn't matter who you are or, or what you know. You can't survive in this business for an entire career without, uh, you know, going through coaching change. And uh, best of luck to them. And then, uh, yeah, the U. The U opened up. Obviously, thanks to yourself for helping me. And, uh, yeah, I've been here for a couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, just trying to get things organized and set up and then take this program to the next level. So I, I want, we're going to get into cardiovascular system and conditioning in the off season, specifically probably working with basketball, but obviously any insight you might have, but I would be remiss not to take this opportunity to, you know, just that story in itself of just turnover transition. Um, you have a family, there's, there's a lot of moving parts on this and I, there's two, there's two ways to look at that. That could be intimidating or daunting and like, I don't want any part of that, or that could be exciting and thrilling. And you have a new opportunity to recreate yourself and prove yourself all over again. You know, any kind of message on your path trajectory uh, to where you're at right now to a young strength conditioning coach about embracing that process of transition and change. Yeah. I think there's a couple points to that where um, I know a lot of young strength coaches are really eager to be the head guy for the LA Lakers or, or whatever it may be. And, uh, for me to get to where I am now in my career, I had to go through a lot of growing pains and go through the process and, 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 you know, go from a low level to a mid level to a, to a high major. And it just, it takes time and, and dedication and effort. But I, I think every experience that I had at every university made me a better coach because programs are run differently from an administrative standpoint programs are run differently, obviously, from a head coaching standpoint. And I think there's a lot of disconnect out there where some strength coaches think, all right, this is my methodology. This is what we do. This is who I am. But you have to tailor your program to who you work for. At the end of the day, like you work for that head coach. Um, so I think that's a really, really important message. But uh, also, you know, to climb the ladder, so to speak, like you have to put in your time and effort and dedication into each job because there's no perfect job. Everyone thinks, well, this school has this budget and this and this, and this is better, but you know, there's no perfect situation. Every university has their own challenges and you have to navigate around that and, and just find a way, you know, to be successful because at the end of the day, we're, we're a strength coach. Like our job is to make these athletes better. Like that's what we're here for. So it's about the athlete. It's not about myself or, or whomever. You know, you mentioned a couple of things in talking in that last, that last insight. And then before that, and I'm thinking about your experience at the university of Florida, and I, I'm, I, I'm presuming that you had an opportunity to leave with coach Donovan uh, when he went to the NBA, 
But it seems to me with the way you described your experience at Clemson, you thought that would be your last job until a really good opportunity that you couldn't turn down professionally came across. And then the opportunity at University of Florida with could easily lead to an MBA job. Do you find yourself when you find a really good spot and you know that better than you did 10, 15 years ago, are you now more married to the university and the situation? Or do you still think that there's got to be some sort of, and it's not this black and white thing of, Hey, I'm attached to a coach or I'm attached to a school. You know, when you found Florida and you have the opportunity to stay there for 11 years, did you realize at that moment of like, okay, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be at a university that's really supportive and, and proactive and creating this athletic department for strength conditioning coaches that can do your job at a high level? Or is it just, Hey, I saw my bigger picture here in university of Florida to help these young student athletes, relatively speaking, to go with coach Donovan somewhere else. Yeah. I, th- I think the first part of that is, um, who you work for is the most important thing. You can have all this knowledge and you can write this miracle program and you got everything laid out for your 52 weeks and got it all figured out. But none of that matters if the guy who you work for doesn't support you. That's my number one thing is like who you work for is going to dictate how successful and happy you could be. And coach Donovan was such a advocate for, training and nutrition and supplementation and lab testing and sports psych. And he just has his hands on all of that. And that's why he's going to be a hall of famer. And uh, he's why he's won two national championships and is in the NBA now because he made me better each and every day and surrounding yourself with people like that, I think enables you to be successful in this industry because if you go into work miserable every day or a coach doesn't support you or care about your training, then like, like what are we doing here? Yeah. So that was my thing is I wanted to stay attached to that guy. Um, Cause he was such a competitor and driven individual and uh, so supportive. And he's every day is like, you know, what can we do to make our team better? Like my first year there, we went to the elite eight. We were up, I think 11 with four minutes to go and we ended up losing the game. But, uh, I'm like, wow, like, you know, we just went to the Elite Eight. Like, that's really hard to do. And we get on the plane, and he sits next to me, and he's furious. And he says, as soon as we get back, we need to meet. We need to figure out what we can do to get this team ready for next year. Like, we've, and I'm like, wow, like, can we just enjoy the moment? He was already on to the next thing. Like, he's all about winning. So that, that's my thing is who you work for is going to dictate how successful you are. But uh, what happened to Florida? You know, I think, gosh, we went to three elite eights and a final four in my four years with him. I'm like, wow, this is kind of, it's pretty easy. Like, all right, this is fun. And then, you know, and I've had my, my, my ups and downs, obviously, and my losses and miserable seasons and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, we had success. And then what I found out is through success in, in winning, it opened up a whole new world for my assistants and my interns, because I was linked to a winning program. It doesn't matter. No, no one knew what I did training wise or, or energy system wise or whatever. Like no one cared about that. I was just associated with winning. So all these coaches would call up and say, Hey, I need one of your guys. I need one of your guys. And we ended up putting out, I think 14 head strength coaches or something like that. And, uh, and, and yeah, so I, I was kind of attached to that place because it was a special place of, it enabled me to be a, a decent strength coach. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, just to put in there, like 
the turnover you have with good people leaving, right? Like, you know, obviously my connection with you and Will and, and you know, the, the countless other people that have come through your program and worked under you and now went off, like you as a director need to be so good about training the next guy and then getting that next guy up to speed or woman up to speed so they can immediately make an impact and help you in your program. Because, you know, when it was all up and running, when you were rolling, which you're going to be doing again here very shortly, you know, this, the amount of moving parts you had between from what I heard from Will and everyone else that I know has worked with you, like the level of testing, uh, the impact of stuff like with Charles and even post posturology and then blood work. And then all this other moving parts, like if taking someone off the street and saying, Hey, you're going to work with this program and help me at the program. And they have no context and no understanding or depth of knowledge on what you're doing on a daily basis. Like that's not easy. And that's not something that you should you know, take for granted as, Hey, like this person's going to come in and understand this stuff and be able to immediately help you. Like you have to coach them up and get them up to speed, even to be able to process and understand to help you, which is a huge long process to get them up to some sort of functioning level. And then once they get good, the program winning begets this whole next second order of that guy has opportunities to leave and go to other places, which you have to start that process all over again with another person, which, you know, kudos to you, man. That's a, that's, that's <laughs> well, a, a really impressive thing. I what we we got to quickly roast Will because he's one of uh, you know everyone is like who's your best who's your best guy who's your best guy and you know I don't have favorites but we, we got to roast him because you know I don't have I'm a very humble individual I don't have it all figured out I make mistakes every day as a strength coach no matter how long I've done this but uh, you know Will showed up at Clemson and he's like shows up with like a, a Gatorade and a bagel. And I like literally like kicked him out. I'm like, yo, know, like I ain't having this. Like I'm not hiring you. Like you can go ahead and drive back to to Maryland or wherever you came from, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, anyways, but, but what I look for is individuals who want to work. Like I want individuals who want to make other people better. I don't want. I never wanted people to work for me who or like Instagramming themselves and using the program to build their platform, because that's not what success is, you know, and uh, Will jumped right in eager to learn, came from a different background. He, he had no idea what a Paul Quinn step up was or what have you. And, uh, but he was just a humble, hardworking individual. And that's why he's successful now. So th those are kind of the characteristics that I look for in hiring people. Yeah. So, um, so now I think this is a great opportunity to dive into the cardiovascular system and conditioning. So you, this is a great kind of platform now to kind of talk about, you're just got to university of Miami. You have your team now, you know, what are you looking at in terms of the summer for developing your guys? And it could, it could go into conditioning, go into energy systems, or it can go into just structural balance. You know, what now is the first steps you're having to absolutely indoctrinate yourself to this, this new environment with this new group and these new expectations. What are you looking for from an assessment standpoint? Yeah, it's a really tough question because there's so many uh, aspects to that. But, uh, you know, the foundation was laid here uh, from the previous strength coach, Phil, who obviously did a tremendous job. And, and just from working with these players the last couple of weeks, they know how to train and they know how to how to work and, and all that stuff. So the foundation's already laid. But what I'm doing is literally on Monday – breaking everything down from like complete ground zero. We're going to do all mobility assessments. Um, you know, my big thing is structural balance testing. I want to find out 
with respect to strength ratios, who needs what, um, as far as exercise selection, who needs develop power, who needs body composition, who needs hypertrophy, who needs functional hypertrophy. We're going to break it all down from an assessment standpoint of that, uh, from a strength standpoint and a mobility standpoint. But beyond that, what's happened now with, with basketball is back in the day, summer was all training, no practice, no individuals. All we did was lift and do a little bit of conditioning and started preparing for the middle of October when practice started. Well, that's completely out the window now where the rules basically allow a head coach to practice year round. So like, it's just, it's a hard thing to figure out in the sense of like, okay, the first game's November 8th or whatever it may be. How do we get those guys to peak from a conditioning, a power, a strength aspect going into the season? So with it being May right now, there's like zero conditioning because these guys are on the court, you know, four, eight hours a week doing skill development, individual instruction, pickup, team practice, things like that. Um, but what I always did is I always had a conversation with a head coach and I said, okay, look, we have these 12 weeks of the off season. It's the most important time of the year for me to get these guys strong. And that's going to basically lay the foundation for injury prevention during the season. And they look at you like you're crazy. Like what is getting strong in May, June and July do for keeping you healthy in January, February, and March? Um, so that's where structural balance comes in and training the right way for the individual, um, you know, training them as a basketball player, not as a weightlifter. But there's a big misconception out there where, like, you got to train for the sport and get sport specific. Well, there, there's no such thing as sport specific training except for practice, you know, because um, if you think about it, gosh, balance, agility, coordination, it's really only 7% trainable after the age of 12. So like the skills needed are developed prior to puberty and, and it's developed in the brain. So like once the DHEA and testosterone is activated through skill acquisition, the brain becomes more challenging. So what does that mean in English? Well, why work on something that's not trainable? Well, what is trainable? Getting stronger, getting more explosive, developing power, and then progressing into energy system. Because when I define the word energy system, like that is basically it's it's every energy systems correlated to an Olympic event or track. Right. And so applying resistance training principles with energy system training will have a much more benefit than just doing calorie burning activity. Like when you add resistance training, you're going to create more muscle hypertrophy. So like that's how you get guys in shape is, is through energy system training in the weight room. Mm. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, no. It does oh, yeah. actually go keep doing going. all summer. Like that's not going to correlate to the game, you know? Um, and that's why I think like strongman's training is, is really, really important because it's the most versatile, you know, type of energy system training that there is. So when people ask me like, what do you do to get your guys in shape in the summer? I'm like, we do strongman training, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's what makes sense to me because it's the most versatile type of, of energy system training that that's out there. Well, like so the airdyne. Yeah. Like the airdyne bikes useless for athletes because there's no eccentric contraction. There's only mm-hmm. concentric contraction. 
And lactic acids produce greatest amounts during concentrics, but that doesn't carry over to athletic performance. So like, unless I have a fat athlete, <laughs> then that, that's when I'll do that type of, of stuff. Um, but to get someone in shape, that's just, it's not, it's, it's a waste of time. So I think there's a, there's a lot of jump off points that can go into from this, but what I'm thinking about, and hopefully uh, this makes sense in terms of a form of a question, have you developed a hierarchy of needs in regards to body composition, lean muscle mass accumulation, or just this next level of like the person is adequate body composition, adequately muscle mass, whatever, not saying that's ever possible, but they definitely need to work on anaerobic phosphagen system or got to have to work on power or whatever thing. But in regards to like hierarchy, let's kind of talk about, you got your structural balance and then you're going into this, like, okay, this definitive need. And then how are you structuring that? If you want to kind of go case study on this, or if you want to just go through, this is how your brain works going through that process from A to B going from now until November. Yeah. Whew, that, that's going to take a week to answer. Yeah. And I'm going to try <laughs> here in about 60 seconds, but, but yeah. So number one is, is what I look for in, in testing is I will do a strength testing, I'll do a power testing, and I'll do a body composition testing. Those are the three things that I quote unquote test for because the leaner athlete is going to be the most highest potential to have the greatest level of, of work capacity um, and also one of the strongest uh, uh, athletes out there because if you have a strong guy or, or – an elastic guy, like you always choose the elastic guy because they're going to have the greatest potential to, to improve their athletic performance. So, so those are the three things that I'll look for. And every player has to be under 10% body fat, like non-negotiable. And that's my body fat testing. That's not, I won't use terms out there, but it's not the, it's the real deal accurate. Like this is your body fat percentage. And beyond that, I look at where they store their fat. Because if you're 10% and I'm 10%, we have two different physiques, you and I do. And so like where you store your fat is going to also dictate what type of training that you need. Okay. And that's one way that you can improve athletic performance is getting your athlete lean. So structural balance testing, body composition testing, and then finding out who needs what. Like that's the key. Who needs to get stronger? Who needs to get quote unquote bigger? Who needs both? Who needs, uh, sometimes you have older players who already have achieved that, but they need to get more powerful. And then beyond that, the next thing I would look at would be a work capacity. Like who can tolerate the lactic acid? Because when you're playing sport, the athlete that can clear the lactate the, the fastest is going to win right? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, so that's, that's what I'm looking for. But I think beyond that, like you have to build power before you can build the capacity of the newfound speed. Like that's my thing because like the anaerobic lactic system, like that's the, that's the heart that more time to clear lactate with that. Like that's the hardest system to, to train for. Um, like the 800 meter is the hardest event I think in all sports. Um, but beyond that, like you can maintain 95% of your aerobic capacity by doing anaerobic work. So like, for me, it just makes no sense of, of looking at an athlete and being like, we got to get you fit. We got to get you in shape. What does that mean? 
You know what I mean? Like if you can maintain 95% of your aerobic capacity by doing anaerobic work, why would you spend time doing aerobic work? The only time I'll do aerobic work is if an athlete screwed around for three or four weeks after the season to potentiate my sport, you know, my, my specific uh, phase of conditioning work, but mm. all of that's basically built around anaerobic work. Even, that uh, make- even the body compositional stuff. It, when you say body comp you, in the sense of training. Yeah. So you're looking at an athlete that's priority is body composition. Are you looking at it still primarily from an anaerobic lactic or even anaerobic oxygen system? Or are you thinking I need to incorporate whether it's on his own or we all know that athletes on their own probably won't do a great job with it, but are you thinking any aerobic work in that regard or are you just thinking still anaerobic lactic or anaerobic uh, phosphogen? Yeah. The only time I'll do aerobic work is if a guy comes back and he's like fat and way out of shape and I'll only do that for about three weeks out of the year. Like that's it. Like, yeah, I'll do aerobic capacity, then aerobic power. And that may last three weeks, maybe. Then I'll do anaerobic alactic power for a couple of weeks and then anaerobic alactic capacity and then anaerobic lactic power and then capacity after that. Like that would kind of be the periodization of my energy system. But if I have an athlete that needs to lose body fat, then I will put them on a quote unquote energy system program in the weight room, whether it's circuit based training, uh, like you can lean an athlete out doing relative strength work. Like that, that happens. But in order to accentuate that, that's when we may do like a strongman medley or something, you know, uh, to that after his quote unquote training system. Yeah. yeah, Like there's a great method that I love that that, uh, hasn't been taught about in probably 15 years um, that I learned from Charles, but it's really, really cool in the sense of like, so training the anaerobic alactic powers, like the hardest to train, but it's the most lacking in athletes. Like that's where speed comes from. So like I'll do what's called like the diminished rest interval system. So choose an exercise and pair it with an antagonist or whatever. And then they'll do, you know, 12 sets of one or what have you. And then they may have 60 seconds rest between sets. And then the next time you train that, two or three, four days later, I'll knock the same rest down to 50 seconds. And then I'll progress down to 40 seconds. So it's basically the law of repeated efforts. Mm-hmm. If you know, like that's one of my favorite, favorite methods, but yeah, if I, if I want to train that system, I'll do, you know, to get a guy lean, uh, I do something like that. And then maybe a strongman medley, uh, modified strongman of like five minute rounds. Uh, or if an athlete is weak, but needs to get in shape, then I'll do more of the traditional body composition training, you know, upper, lower, upper, lower pairing, uh, or circuit, you know, circuit style fashion, just driving up the lactic acid to get that growth hormone release. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you thinking anything along the lines of their neurotype or their muscle fiber type in regards to how you get a structure or layer your energy system work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think everyone's pretty much familiar with the Braverman test and that's been talked about for a while of finding out what type of training will you thrive on? It's if you're, if you're born a Buffalo, you're a Buffalo. If you're born a cheetah, you're a cheetah, right? You can't change who you are. Um, So I'll do that test on my players and that will give me a ton of information on what type of training systems will they progress and, and, and perform better on. Um, 
And, and so with respect to energy systems with that, yeah, if I have a dopamine guy, I'm not running 800 meters. <laughs> he's not going to come back or he's going to quit or, or well, I should say he's going to transfer in today's world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he would do more 60 meter, meter sprints and things like that and need quite a bit more rest where if I had an acetylcholine dominant guy, he would do more 100 and 200 meter sprints and things like that as far as energy system. Uh, and then if I had a serotonin player, I would, I would, I would have trained him. I'd make my intern train him because it means he's not going to be very good, but then he would do more quote unquote traditional, uh, energy work. Yeah. But what I look for, Tim, it's a great question. What I look for is the critical drop-off point, no matter what I'm doing, energy system training wise, sprints or, or what have you, I look for the drop-off of 7% that you cannot allow your performance to drop more than 7%. So if I'm running 200s with a guy, say I do a 200 meter and he hits it in 32 seconds and I give him three minutes rest, the next one he may hit 33 seconds, then 34, then 35. I look at a 7% differential in whatever uh, programming the energy system session I've done. So in regards to that, how are you responding to that critical drop-off point? Are you cutting the intensity? Are you cutting the volume? Are you cutting the frequency? What is yeah. your reaction to that and within a microcycle or even a training session? Well, it's, I, I really simplify it. If it's too slow, I shorten the distance. Okay. I really keep it simple with that. Yeah. Because the programming goal is to train the longest distance at the fastest possible speed. So it's quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Like I think quality is everything. Yeah, which, you know, as I'm going further and further along with this, and I'm looking at this critical drop-off point coming up, and to be honest, Preston, and I think one of the things that, you know, I've really tried over the last 10 years is trying to figure out how to objectively do that. And, you know, I think we've talked about this, you and I, off of the difference of scale, you know, where you have 15 guys you're trying to work with, and I've worked with 120, 150 at a given time, and and one coach per like 30, 40 people, like, you know, the idea of like, all right, well, knowing that in the back of your mind, it's the burden of knowledge and going, well, there's a high risk of someone going past that point of diminishing returns. And how do I safeguard against that? And, you know, looking at things like jumping analysis on a force plate or looking at stuff within our velocity based training and using that as a mechanism to not too slow. We can't do that anymore. And, then the, the next answer is, well, what do I do in place of that, right? So if you have that dopamine dominant guy, he looks at it as like challenge accepted, they're going to try to rise and overcome thinking I just basically threatened his manhood. But, <laughs> but the reality is like, no, I meant what I said. Like that's no longer effective in terms of an intensity or a duration or a distance. Like it, it, this isn't like a, well, wow, I'm just trying to now assert myself and say like, okay, see if you're just not focused or I know you're giving great effort and I know what we're doing no longer is effective. So I'm telling you we're stopping or cutting the distance. Um, and then the other end, it's that like acetylcholine type who's maybe a little bit more, I guess, intuitive and understands that dynamic. But reality is, it's like, you probably be like, no, I'm actually really challenging you right now. I don't just think you're focused. I don't think, I don't think you're, la- I don't think you're engaged with what you're doing. I want you to rise to the challenge of that intensity or that duration or that distance to meet the, the, the training goal of that given day. So like understanding their neurotype, understanding their, their just their demeanor, their makeup with this objective data that I know if we're doing it, the way we're doing it is not going to be effective. Uh, and then trying to find somewhere in between, you know, and then thinking from, can I be on the proactive end of this? Do I need to 
prematurely cut the volume or do I need to prematurely cut the frequency so I know when I can kind of go ahead through that, which kind of leads me into my next question in terms of looking at this on a little bit more of a macro scale with the narrow type or even a muscle fiber type, how are you structuring the length of your training blocks or mesocycle or micro mesocycles in regards to their, I guess, specific energy system that you're working in their muscle fiber type or neurotype? Yeah. Well, okay. I think to, to really break that down, the first thing to, to talk about is, uh, in energy systems, the, t- the two most important factors are load duration and work to rest ratio. It's the two most important things. Um, so if I have an athlete who's dopamine dominant or, or we can even say mixed, you know, uh, dopamine and acetylcholine mix, it's like your pre-workout supplements. You either have to focus on NO2 or you have to focus on the brain. It's one or the other. You, you can't choose both. So either they will do sprinting or they will do strongman training. It's one or the other. And so by determining the needs of their sport, needs of their game, that's going to basically dictate which one of those that I choose. And I say that because there's two types of rest. You have neurological rest and then you have metabolic rest. And so what does that mean? It's like, well, if I'm doing strongman training, they can't use neurological work to rest ratios because there's no velocity in that. And so to counter that, uh, if you're sprinting, you have to use neuro work to rest ratios because you're tapping into the same motor units all the time and you're frying your nervous system. So that's what I look at. But beyond that, I will, I will basically do like, I guess you could say undulation conditioning, um, depending on how many times a week I'm doing it. So for example, say a guy's training three days a week, he, his quote unquote energy system training may last uh, Monday, 20 minutes, Wednesday, 25 minutes, Friday, 30 minutes. But then the next week he would do 25, 30, 35. Mm. And next week he would do 30, 35, 40. Um, and I never go above 40 minutes, like ever, ever. Um, so it kind of what I'm thinking about now too, especially with the new rules and everything. And I, I recall back to my time working with basketball was this, I, we lived, I lived in Atlanta and I worked at Georgia tech and our team would go play Georgia state or Kennesaw state, like a pickup. But the problem would be, is they're playing pickup till 11, 12 at night. And <laughs> the next day you have a strongman chat programmed or you have something that's going to be physically and emotionally and, and neurolo- and, and just taxing, you know, just emotionally taxing, probably more so than neurological, but you know, that element of they come in, they're gassed, they're tired, they're, you know, just sucking down Gatorades. I'm like, Oh my God, this is not good. You know, you know, they're not there. Right. How right. are you, how are you, uh, how are you determining on any kind of assessment? Is just, is there a meaner? Is it their body language? Um, you know, in regards to this, you just got to be like realistic with, you know, these are 18 to 22 year old kids who just grew up playing ball and they don't think about the consequences the next day in regards to where do they have scheduled training wise in regards to the, the day to day, the week to week from working with basketball athletes. Sure. Yeah. And you know what, that, that, that's a really, really, really good question. And I may look back when I'm finished with my career and say, that's the biggest mistake that I made, but 
I know there's many ways to evaluate a guy with questionnaires and HRV and, and everything. What we I was the first college basketball team to use whoop. Uh, and I did it for a season and I swore to myself, I would never do it again. Cause it was an utter nightmare. The product's great, but it was an utter nightmare. Um, getting those guys to, to buy in and everything uh, of wearing them the way, way they're supposed to wear them. You know, they put them on their girlfriend's arms and they'd go out or whatever. And one guy thought I was like GPS tracking him. I'm like, do you really think I care what you're doing at three in the morning? Like I, I got better things to worry about, but the information I got off of that was really valuable because the lack of sleep just absolutely mesmerized me. And I had some really good guys who were bought into eating, sleeping, supplements, yoga at night, all the parasympathetic stuff. And their sleep was just as bad as, as a different uh, uh, teammate. And so I say that because I don't waste time evaluating a guy's uh, heart rate and HRV and all that stuff at 630 in the morning, because at the end of the day, we have a job to do like, like you guys are an athlete and we have a task at hand, like to say uh, it's the night before a game and a guy was kicking it or whatever. Like, you're not going to play him that next day in the game. Like, no, you're going to suit up. Like, let's go, man. Like we have a job to do. So I I really don't look at the athlete that way. I, I don't have sympathy for that because we have a plan in place. We have a training session that needs accomplished and we're going to do it. Yeah. And well, I think Don't that's the thing about college athletes. There's all these teachable moments, right? Like this. Exactly. There's lessons know. to learn from that. Exactly. Yeah. And so if that individual was trashed that day and I know why we're going to have a conversation when he, he's still going to do the program, I'm not getting, giving you a day off. Like it's not my fault, yeah. but when we're finished that training session, we're going to have a conversation to say, Hey, you just wasted a day here. Like you just wasted a day. And I want you to remember that come season time when you're sitting next to me on the bench of like why you're not playing, like it's things like that. So when I got to USC, we came in after coach Carroll and their philosophy from a nutritional standpoint was if they're going to eat like crap Sunday through Friday, why would we change that habit the night before a game? So they would have pizza, wings, hot dogs, just delicious treats all over. (laughs) And, you know, coach Kiffin was like pretty adamant of like, this is a, like he had a big, two big things. One from a sports performance and nutrition standpoint, there's a huge gap and window of opportunity. And then from a specialist team standpoint, and, and obviously like what you felt with coach Donovan was probably how we felt with coach Kiffin. It was like this guy who was going to be really supportive and proactive of giving you the resources and the opportunity to stretch yourself out as a strength conditioning or performance coach. But comes the next order of now convincing a group of people that were wildly successful that, what they did before was suboptimal and we had all these meetings with the captains and the seniors and like, you know, if we ate pizza and wings every before every single game and we won as many Rose bowls as we did, why would we need to change? And, you know, everyone's going back and forth and hemming and hawing. One actually kid was a captain. He's like, I didn't expect to play. I, I threw back a bunch of beers. I got pretty drunk. And then I ended up getting in the game and I had 11 tackles and a couple tackles for loss. <laughs> I played my best game of my career. And then everyone, I'm like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever fucking heard. Imagine if you didn't drink, you would have had 14 tackles and three tackles for loss. You guys would have won by 70. Like, well, we could go back and forth on this, but you can't use this like 
just they could have been an awful team that you played against. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, like how are right. we living with this like just silly logic? Like, why wouldn't you if you know something's better and you know you're gonna get better performance, why wouldn't you at least do that unless you don't want to be good? And then tying right. that into the offseason of like you guys can get hammered every night of the week. You guys can go out to 4 a.m. doing whatever it is you do and missing this opportunity to develop yourself from a speed standpoint or strength standpoint or whatever that dynamic is. And I use that when we got to army and, and thing that people don't realize about, and you've worked with swimming, you've worked with a lot of these other sports that are super intense from a schedule standpoint, like basketball and football are pretty, they're pretty you know, loaded, but when you get to these like volume based sports with swimming and diving or like track and field where it's like, you're basically like body compositional wise and just amount of time you invest into this is like can become very um they become obsessive right and then they get a day off and then you hear about all these problems right like you basically got had to go to a hospital for being overly intoxicated whatever the dynamic is they just go super intense in the other direction where army was like that where they give them the summer they have an opportunity to get the weekends off for the first time they had in their entire time there and we talked about what that's limiting on monday and one of the biggest things that we had to go through was monday was always bad because the guys just got so aggressive on the weekends and we did a pre-mortem of what do you want well we need to get faster we need to be you know we need to be more explosive like we're just slower and smaller than our opponents like okay well the two biggest things we can do in regards to that is training speed and then doing functional hypertrophy and hypertrophy at a high level and when we get to that fifth set of eight with a 50xo tempo or we're doing this giant set and you can't finish the last set because you're still have this residual fatigue from your weekend activities or for running a certain amount of volume, high intensity sprints or doing high intensity plyometrics, but your volume or your quality goes down because you're still fatigued from the weekend. How bad do you really want to get faster and bigger to compete at a higher level? And having that back and forth and just a a open discussion about it was that based off this dynamic, what we talked about from at USC of, Hey, like I get you were successful, but that strategy could have been even better if, or you could have been even better if you applied a better strategy, what you were doing in your off time. And that dynamic with college athletes, like you can go at this with this ingenious plan from a performance standpoint, you can do HRV, you can do resting heart rate, you can do blood pressure, you can do any number of assessments, but it doesn't change the fact that when you have an 18 year old kid who's just by himself for the first time and making his own decisions for the first time in his entire life with his off time, he has to be the one who makes a decision for the best interest of himself and his teammates. And probably one of the best ways to do that is to go through with the plan and say, okay, what did we learn? That's really hard when you don't take care of your body. And we missed a really good opportunity to be really good here in the future because of some things that you want in this current moment based off of you had the freedom to choose and you choose wrong, chose wrong. And then over time, you know, you got to be smart about it. You got to be, you know, really, really re- like responsible with that. But you know, I think that's the thing that a lot of times we miss on these, we're there to teach and we're there to help mold young men and women. Like, you know, that this is the first time in their life they're making their own decisions. And sometimes like you have to use these tools and assets that you have at your disposable disposal to help them make that decision more consistently. So um, I'm always interested in hearing the savvy vets like yourself and, you know, having access and awareness of like wearables and the resources to do it. But then again, too, of yeah, this is that moment where I need to utilize my, my wisdom and my knowledge to go, this this person needs that guidance. And there's a really good way to do that. So um, long, long, long 
I guess, ad lib on your comment, but I, that was a really interesting uh, approach and answer because I've learned uh, the hard way and the, and the good way about the, the benefit of analytics, but also to how much you can kind of blind yourself to the reality of the moment. Yeah, no, I, I think beyond that is the one game changer for me that I was able to do is when we, when we launched the, uh, the lab testing program at Florida, we would do two comprehensive metabolic profile draws twice a year. We would do it in July and then we would do the second one in January and just seeing who's deficient in what nutrient or excessive or trending high or trending low in a quartile range. That was a game changer for me as far as uh, recovery, health, wellness, things like that, because uh, you, you, know, you and I both know the blood never lies. And once you take the guesswork out of who needs what nutrient or supplement, that changed the whole spectrum in the sense of, of injuries and wellness and sicknesses and, and performance and things like that. Yeah, like bioenergetically, so, we're just running off of B vitamins and certain minerals and cofactors. So it's like if you're deficient in those or if you're overly using them in some capacity, what does that mean from – well, it doesn't really matter what you're doing from an energy system perspective. It matters that you're, exactly. you're having the right, wrong things to help support that bioenergetics. Um, yeah, and you did it with Dr. Exactly. Laval, Dr. Laval, correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. Which, uh, which but you could have the best yeah. ratings and, and whatever, but if you're deficient uh, in vitamin D, your homocysteine is elevated, your cortisol sky high, your axis is inverted, whatever it may be, I could, th those are the analytics that I care about. I could care less about your HRV and, and blood pressure and heart rate yeah. because if – the blood and the, the, the body as a, as a system isn't working correctly. None of that matters. Yeah. Um, so make it to November and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up here in a couple more minutes, but make it to November. Now they're in season. Are there any things you're looking at from an energy system standpoint from, I guess there's two ways to go to this from your starting five, which are getting the majority of the minutes, probably the majority of the reps during practice to your, uh, I guess, backup players or your bottom 10 uh, are you looking at from an energy system standpoint from the guys getting high minutes what you need to do to help support them and then from the energy system standpoint to support the guys who aren't getting as many minutes yeah well the first thing is if there's a transfer or has to sit out or a registered guy then he's on an off-season program the entire season he can't play so we're going to take advantage of that he's going to train five days a week and smash them on game days because that's a day off for him and things like that but you know, I look at it both ways. I used to look at the minute sheet after a game and I would maybe do a little bit more quote unquote conditioning or, or volume or things like that, that next day, I kind of got away from that as my career has gone on. And what I do, two things, if a, a player, see, so the game's changed so much where like all your, your one through 10 guys are going to play. Cause if they don't, they're going to transfer and leave. <laughs> so like everyone pretty much plays except, you know, obviously you have some outliers here. There are of, of really good players who may play 38 minutes a game and things like that. But if a guy is, is a high minute individual, depending on what year he is, is going to also go into the amount of volume I'm going to do that next day's training. So if I have a freshman who's really talented and he's playing 38 minutes a game, I'm going to really back off from a volume standpoint that next day because he's not going to have that 
work capacity built up in the foundation that, that recovery ability uh, instilled in him. But if I have an older guy, a veteran, junior, senior, who's playing 38 minutes a game, he's still going to be able to handle that workload because he's been in my system a couple years already, if that makes sense. He's going to have that ability to clear out the lactic acid. But what I do, the guys who aren't playing a lot of minutes, I used to do quote unquote traditional conditioning and I don't do that anymore. I will get with the assistant coach and after practice that next day, they may do a, uh, a 20 minute individual session. Like it's a, it's a skill work type of workout. I think that transfers in, into their development as a player more so than doing 20 minutes of, of biking or rowing or whatever that next day. Like that's, that's just a waste of time. In my opinion, I'd rather him get on the court and work on his game or, I'll tell you what, one, that's a great question. One year we had uh, six guys, I think, who didn't play a whole lot. Uh, the other six or seven, whatever, took most of the minutes. So those guys that next day would, after practice, would play three on three for 20 minutes or whatever. Like that would be their extra work yeah. is on the court and performing, you know, uh, the skills that they need to work on instead of doing cardio. You know, yeah. like I, I hate, I don't use the C word. That's a yeah. bad word. But it's so hard to not portray that as punishment for not playing, right? They, they resent the fact that I'm not only playing and I got to do all this extra work relatively speaking versus layer presenting in a way that this is actually skill work or playing, you know, like you're getting your energy system work through playing and you're developing a skill. So you kind of closing that gap without looking like it's punishment, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's great. Cause the reason I got away from all that is I had a coach, I won't name a name, but I worked for a coach uh, one time and every minute out of the 40 minutes a player didn't play, they had to do that many minutes on the bike. Yeah. How does that not look like punishment? Play, yeah, I had to play he played three minutes a game. I had to bike him oh. seven minutes the next. He's miserable. Yeah. Hates me, hates himself, hates the game. Like just it's a downward spiral. Like, yeah. go make yourself better, you yeah. know? And you're looking at this like, I don't want to do this as much as you don't want to do this. So <laughs> like it autocrat it creates this like weird like you're being supportive of the coach and decision because you want to be a good foot soldier but like i don't believe in this i don't agree with this i resent this and that player is feeling the same way so you have this weird dynamic between you and him that both of you don't understand the reason slash like you don't even agree with it in the first place and the end result is you know almost like uh, this really hot toxic environment um absolutely and now one last thing I want to kind of finish off with this. And you mentioned, you know, the opportunity to get to uh, some elite eights and some final fours when you're getting to you know, March madness or any kind of postseason play, are there any things that you have your, you know, your spider sense on of like, okay, this is, this means that we're in a good spot conditioning wise, like your top five are playing 30 to 40 minutes. You're everyone's practicing. Like I remember when football, if we get to November and I had a bunch of guys in injured workouts with me, that means that we're probably not going to be very good in December. Sure. Um, so do you have any, and it could be as like subjective as like just a demeanor where guys are excited to practice on the day before, after a game following a three day road trip, like are any insights that you can have in terms of what you're looking at in terms of fe- February going into March is what you've now learned through just experience. What's going to make for a great March period. Yeah. Well, winning helps Win- winning makes life good. Guys are much happier and more energetic and, and compliant with everything when you're winning. So winning trumps all, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't look for anything specific from a conditioning standpoint, because if, you are in February going into March 
and you're not in shape, well, number one, you're not going to be winning. You're not going to be playing in March because you're not going to be any good. But you've been practicing now since basically August. Like, it's a long time. Um, but I've been fortunate. Every coach, uh, I should say the last three coaches I've worked for have been open to the limiting practice no more than about 75 minutes. Mm. So we'll actually taper down the duration of practice as the season goes on. So it's like, wow, you're only practicing for an hour. Like we're getting out of shape. Like, no, we're not. Yeah. No, we're not. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Um, but I look for two different markers. Number one, uh, they're both strength markers, uh, strength because durability is the key to winning. The teams that are healthy are the teams that, that win. So number one, I look at their knee flexor strength. Uh, my goal as season goes on and progresses is to not lose more than 10% of their strength in the hamstrings as a knee flexor. And everyone's like, well, what does that have to do with winning in March in the tournament? Well, basically the stronger your hamstrings are as a knee flexor, the better your knees, your knees are going to feel. And how many athletes say, Oh, my knees are sore. My knees are sore. I can't squat today. I can't practice today, whatever. Well, why is there inflammation there? So I look for that. And also basically the kneeling leg curl has the greatest transfer to sport out of any exercise because of the torso to femur angle. Mm. And you and I both know that the faster athlete is going to win. So that's what I look for is to maintain their knee flexion strength. And then also going into March, this is going to sound crazy and it has nothing to do with winning basketball games, but I will peak them in their upper body strength in the close grip bench by using clusters. Oh, okay. And everyone's like, why do you do that in March? Two reasons. I do this the week before we go into the conference tournament. And then obviously, the, and then the next session would be uh, going to, to going into the assembly tournament. So there's two cluster sessions at, with respect to the upper body. And I'll peak them. And it tells me, number one, I didn't screw up the periodization. Mm-hmm. They have to hit within 10% of their 1RM from the offseason. And actually, some guys get stronger during the season, which always uh, is a positive thing. But beyond that, it builds and instills confidence in them. They walk out of that training session, shirts off, feeling good, testosterone's flowing. It's like, man, like, finally, we got we to gotta move some weight today. And uh, I got stronger. It, it just builds so much confidence and a positive demeanor in them uh, going into uh, postseason play. So those are two markers that I will look for uh, in the weight room. Yeah, you know, the, the hamstring one, too. And uh, correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong on this, but they have, hamstrings have, still have considered to have the most fast with much fiber in a certain muscle group, relatively speaking, to the rest of the body. So you're essentially doing a preservation of fast twitch muscle fibers through a ham i guess any kind of leg curl variation towards the time where it matters the most right correct so correct. on that, that note you're basically doing a either development or preservation of muscle fiber test in the part where you should have that highest level and then the other part which you know i, I came to that same conclusion with football as well with I develop more of the engine in the off season. So it's going to be a lot of squats and hinges. A lot of, we did a lot of Olympic lifts, a lot of sprinting, a lot of plyos where upper body to be completely frank was not an afterthought, like by the definition of like, we're just not doing it. 
but it was more along the lines of we're going to do dumbbell neutral grip bench. We're going to do some different variations and angles there. We're going to work on more pull up, more pull up variations and things like that, more structural balance stuff. Like, so I always tell them like, we're going to build the engine in the off season and then we're going to work on the frame or the out exterior on the in season and doing a little bit more of, okay, we're going to, we did a progressive rep scheme. So we do like three at 80%, four at 80%, five at 80 percent and then we bump up every like two and a half percent every every block going into that november and how many times i had guys who hit a rep max at a weight they couldn't even hit in the off season and just the confidence and i loaded the deck because we we're just doing variations that were challenging with tempo or angles that were just going to be limiting anyway and then i get to in season we're doing a biochromial close grip bench they hit 315 or 140 kilos for five and they didn't even do that for one in the off season like that empowering effect and that element but the other side is from a hormonal standpoint and i think i got this through will from you of the preservation of lean muscle mass is a great marker for immune system function so if you're getting november like and guys are botting them out because they're constantly getting colds or flu from preparing for finals or just starting to get cold and are starting to get inside more well if i can preserve lean muscle mass and we're having less guys out from just general immune system markers like and I can do that through maybe a little bit more hypertrophy, functional hypertrophy stuff sprinkled in there and then developing upper body strength. That's not going to be limiting to what they're going to do during a 20 period practice in football. Like it just led to better performance. But I, I had a loaded question on that because that gave me a lot of ammunition to go to my boss at the time in army to say, in response to him, we were slower in November than we were in August. I'm like, so you said we were fast in August. So yeah. <laughs> So what would be the difference is you had them for 90% of the time. I had them for 10% of the time. Correct. So what we could do differently is maybe give me more time or we can structure what we're doing to not build up as much fatigue as we're doing throughout the course of the season. And that was like that he's done conditioning at the end of practice for 20 years. And, yeah. and he's like, I'm like, why are we conditioning our athletes at the end of practice? Like that's, they just did 20, they just did basically a two hour practice. They don't right. to do extra sprint work or gassers <laughs> or things like that. He's like, but that's what we've always done. I'm like, but you just said we're slower at the end of the season. We ran and practiced every single day. And the litmus for me was like, all right, when we get to conditioning, the athletic trainers would pull all of our starters and bring them over to me. And I had to do like ground-based stuff with them, like push-ups and, and sit-ups and stuff while their other guys are doing sprints. I'm like, so we're essentially conditioning the guys who just had the hardest practice, the scout team right. guys working their Make ass off. Yeah. <laughs> so it became like, all right, this just seems silly. Uh, but how do I demonstrate to my boss of, okay, wh what can we do differently? Like, well, we were fast at one point, we got slower. It's just more a matter of fatigue as opposed to development of something. And then the other end is, can we structure the week a little bit better so we can get more time vested in stuff that can preserve that stuff a little bit longer. And the thing that you're talking about from, all right, let's just do a hamstring assessment, see what the strength levels were before we started to now is a really clear way to say, well, time vested gives us a lot more preservation, even development of muscle fiber, as well as they're increasing their strength upper body wise, they're probably increasing lean muscle mass, probably increasing the things that lead to performance in March. Like it's funny how that just that intuitive, logical thing when you're looking at it, like how can I really be a, a assistance here? And then you're using that as some sort of like carrot at the end of the stick for, Hey, I know we just played three games in a week. We got to get a strength training session in guys are tired. They're thinking about all the catch up work that doing schoolwork or whatever else they got to do. And you're trying to motivate them for 45 minutes to get a great training session. In, and like how that has the long-term benefit for them going into the time where it really matters. Like all this stuff, just over time, you accrue this knowledge and wisdom and boom, here you go. 
So that's awesome, man. Oh, man. All that was really, really cool from a take home perspective. You know, you're going into this new experience. Um, any kind of uh, thing that you think would be a really cool synopsis statement for your, uh, just reflective for yourself or for that other coach who's listening and thinking, okay, now if I walk into a situation like Preston is and trying to start anew, you know, what would be a great kind of em- emphasis or point of context that would help in terms of uh, you or the next person from an energy system development standpoint? Yeah, uh, two things come to mind off of that. I would say number one is uh, you have to look at the sport and see how you can resemble the force required in the sport. So number one thing, and, and that basically means is you have to find training methods that resemble the force that is required in the sport. And sometimes you have to be flexible with, with, with the tools uh, that you have, but beyond that, you can have all this knowledge and be really proficient with 500 different training methodologies, whatever it may be. That doesn't matter when you start a new program because no matter who was there before you, it's still a different style of training with respect to rest, tempos, exercises, range of motion, every loading parameter out there. So don't try and do too much, too fast. Like I can tell you right now, this summer off season is going to be really, really, really remedial because I'm not throwing a, uh, an athlete of mine who I haven't worked with into, you know, heavy light method or contrast training or, or Hepburn or whatever it may be. Like it's way too advanced for them. But every time you're training an athlete, you're always assessing them. And the better athletes can progress through the GPP phase faster than others. So I like to basically have my guys all over the place with their training programs. So I'm always evaluating and assessing as I'm training them, but we are starting with the basics, structural balance, remedial, all the small muscles that they never knew that they had. And then we'll progress from there. I think you have all these ideas and you're excited and, and amped up and like, let's go. And here we go. And then you smash the team and you don't make the optimal amount of progress as you could have because you overtrain them. Yeah. Well, I think that's the hardest part is knowing what you could be, but then understanding where you are and as where you want to be doesn't necessarily mean that what you're doing today has any less impact uh, even if it is simple, you know, and I think that element as I go through, the more you learn, the more you realize what you could do, but doesn't necessarily change what you should do in that given introductory exactly. period. Um, that, exactly. that, this was awesome, man. Preston, thank you so much. Uh, again, I'm fired up for you. I'm really excited for, uh, to see your next steps and journey. Um, I'm also excited about, I don't know if you have any, uh, any direct connection to Dave Lawrence and Robert Jacobs and the rest of the game, but it seems like Paul sure. and groups getting kicked back up here. So yep. um, I'm excited across the board, man, this is going to be fun. And then obviously, you know, everything else that you have going on, just stoked for it, man. So appreciate the time. Awesome. And- I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. You're the man. Yeah. You too, buddy. All right, buddy.